of the gift. We have some repairs that we need to make on it. Um, Jim Trimper called me yesterday. And uh, last week while he was in here doing some, you know, some final hookups and so forth, um, we realized right away that the age of the speakers is really coming out. They're all very, very soft. And uh, just in doing some testing, he blew one on this side, and then he turned around and blew one on that side. And he kind of looked at me and goes, it's going to happen. They're old. And uh, so in lieu of that, he kind of gave us a ballpark figure to repair the speakers so that they don't blow every time we use them. And uh, kind of the idea is if one blows, we just throw one of the other 27 in there. But the problem is they're all the same age, and they're all going to keep blowing. And uh, it's not something that we need to do like yesterday, but we need to do it very soon. Um, so we need to raise a roughly $2,000 to repair enough, just eight speakers, and uh, which is really a blessing because when he walked in and saw the organ, he said you could sell it tomorrow without a bat between twenty-five dollars and $30,000. So it's quite an investment. It's quite a gift that was given to us. And uh, so a very minimal repair in comparison to what we got. Uh, Brand new, that was in excess of $100,000. And so we've been blessed. And uh, so the flip side of not repairing the speakers, he said, is a blown amplifier. If we don't do it, it will affect the amplifier that's inside there. And that's roughly $2,500. So we don't want to blow something more and possibly both. So... If you have some ability, I mean, if you want to write a check, I will not say no. Um, it's for the Lord's work and for his, his glory. So if you can help with that, come see me. Um, earmark a, a check for organ speakers. And uh, so I would appreciate your consideration of that and, and uh, what God might do through you for that purpose. So this morning, if you would turn your Bibles to the book of Job. Last Thursday evening, I led a discussion at men's Bible study entitled, Be a Contributor, Not a Consumer. Be a contributor, not a consumer. The idea is that God wants to use us actively in our life more than we want, should want to be a user of what's available to us in life. It seems as though the older we get, the more comfortable we get in kind of break that mold in letting God use us and use us for a lot of His service. You might be wondering, what, what does that have to do with, with me? Well, I'm glad you asked. Most of us live a very comfortable life. Would you agree? I think we all would agree. We live a very comfortable life. And for the most part, we live as we want to live. Practically, generally speaking, and I say generally speaking, What that means is that we do what we enjoy. We rest when we want to, and uh, we wait on various people to serve us. It goes from our home and our spouses serving us to going to the restaurant and having other people serve us, and going to the store and people waiting on us. We live a life of comfort where people are trained, and our expectation is that they will serve us. By and large... This is the truth of how we live. However, I would challenge all of us here today to live life as a contributor, not merely as a consumer. We talk about churches have developed a a mindset of being a consumer-driven ministry. We have people who come to church and say, well, what do you have to offer us? 
And I can remember being a church planner in Indianapolis, and I remember hearing the question, well, what kind of youth ministry do you have? What kind of a music ministry do you have? What kind of a men's ministry do you have? And I can remember thinking very clearly, there's 25 of us in planning this church. We really don't have much of a men's ministry. We really don't have much of a youth ministry. We really don't have much of a music ministry. But we really want you to come and be encouraged and be a part of it and grow with us. That's the last time you see him. And I'll tell you, God indwelled in my heart a spirit of, I'm not going to keep up with the Jones as a pastor. I can't. And you shouldn't want to. I want to do what we do to the best of our ability. I want to impact people to the best of our ability. But I can't offer what every other church in the area offers. I have prayed and prayed and prayed for God to provide key people for key areas. And I've come to this conclusion. Until God is ready to give us those key people for key areas, it's not His will that we do it just yet. Because God says in 1 Corinthians that He places everyone in the body as He sees fit to place them. So if God wants us to have XYZ ministry, I'm sure He will burden somebody and gift them and give them the ability to fulfill XYZ ministry. Not to say I don't want it. I'd love to have it, but it's not realistic to where we are as a church at times. But on the other hand, that doesn't mean that we sit back and say, oh well, that's just the way it is. God hasn't given us those people. Quite possibly God does have us in mind a person to do the ministry that He's called us to do, but we're living in disobedience and not doing it. You see, that's where your relationship with God must be on par. Are you doing what God has asked you to do? Are you the person that God has called you to be in your obedience to service to Him? Oftentimes I hear people say, well, Pastor, we should fill in the blank. And I say, that would be a great opportunity for you to do that. Because I don't need one more thing to do, just like you don't want one more thing to do. We are all busy people, right? But I wonder if we're busy in the right areas of life. I wonder if we're busy being active in what God wants us to be active in. Or are we just spending our time and spinning our wheels on things that matter to us personally? But the whole idea of being a contributor versus a consumer is that I want to be actively involved in people's lives. We say often around here, and you've heard me say it a hundred times over the last couple of years, we work on building relationships so that we can what? Invite them to the most important relationship with Jesus Christ. God has placed us in this world to build relationships and invite people to the most important relationship with Jesus Christ. I wonder how faithful we are at doing that. Just for a moment, I want us to give an idea, and really I want us to answer this question, are we really busy? Look at Job chapter 1. I want to read verses 2 through 5. Talking about Job here. It says he had seven sons and three daughters. His estate included 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turns having banquets at their homes. They would send an invitation to their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And whoever around a bank, or whenever a round of banqueting was over, Job would send for his children and purify them, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for all of them. 
For Job thought, perhaps my children have sinned, having cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. I wonder, after reading all that Job had his hands involved with, I wonder who of us is really busy. You say, well, Job didn't take care of all those 7,000 sheep by himself. No, but somebody had to guide them. Somebody had to orchestrate all the happenings of his farm. And there was a million things going on. I'm sure that any one of us, if we were to compare our life with the life of Job, we'd have to honestly say, I don't know if I was as busy as he was. I mean, he had family. I mean, just think of the sheer number of kids he had. I mean, that would take you crazy busy. I find myself with four kids in our houses. I think it's crazy once in a while running to sports practice and home from sports and do the game and then getting over here and doing this and doing that. It's crazy. Can you imagine multiplying the number of kids? Wow. That's crazy busy. And then you add on top of it, we have five eggs, egg-laying chickens. Nowhere near 7,000 sheep. And for the most part, they take care of themselves, thank God. I wonder how many of us are truly busy, or are we just busy and selfishly doing what we want to do, living the life that we want to live. I mean, he was busy. A lot of delegation, a lot of organization, a lot of planning. He was busy. But I want you to see something in the next passage that maybe you don't sometimes correlate. He was not just busy with his own family. He was not just busy doing what was important to him. He was a contributor, a producer in the culture and the community that he lived in. How do I know that? Turn your Bibles to Job chapter 29. Let me read just several verses here, just for a moment. Beginning with verse 12. It says, For I, Job is speaking, rescued the poor man who cried out for help, and the fatherless child who had no one to support him. The dying man blessed me, and I made the widow's heart rejoice. I clothed myself in righteousness, and it enveloped me. My just decisions were like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy and I examined the case of the stranger. I shattered the fangs of the unjust and snatched the prey from his teeth. I mean, think about it. As if his family was not enough. As if his farm was not enough. And if I could say that even as if his faith was not enough. I mean, he had a concern for his children, did he not? He said, my kids are having banquets every weekend, and it could be that in one of these banquets, that just perhaps they might have cursed God in some way, even though they didn't, may not have meant to do it, even though they may have done it by accident. I'm going to have this process, and I'm praying for God to, to, to change their lives and to protect them and so forth. I mean, as if his faith wasn't even enough. We see in Job chapter 29, verses 12 through 17, that he was a help to so many. The poor and the orphans, the dying and widows, the blind and lame or handicapped, the needy and the strangers, the unjust and their victims, men needing wisdom who would sit outside and ask them questions and they would sit there speechless as Job would speak. You look at all the ways that he was involved in his community. I mean, just think about that. When's the last time that we made ourselves available to someone who is dying or a widow? Answer that question in your heart. 
say, well, I got my family, I got my job, I got my church, I got all these things. I don't have time for that. Really? Are we really that busy? That life has to be 100% wrapped around us? When's the last time we got invested in our community? I mean, when's the last time that we helped out the poor and the orphans? I'm not talking about putting a dollar or two dollars or ten dollars or thirty-two dollars a month to help this or that ministry. I'm talking about getting involved as a church in the community that God has called us to minister in. When's the last time we helped somebody that was blind or lame or who was needy or was just a stranger in our community? You say, no way, I'm scared to death of people I don't know. Or how about the unjust? I mean, I mean. I was joking about this Thursday night. He says, I shattered the fangs of the unjust. Job was a, was a, was a, you know, a man's man. So, you know, you're picking on him? Not no more you're not. You know, no, I'm just kidding you. But he was a man's man. He took care of business. When's the last time that we have stood up for someone in our community who is needing help and just saying, hey, I'm available. I want to serve. I want to do everything I can. Why? To build a relationship so that we can invite them to the most important relationship, which is Jesus Christ. And what I find in my own life, and so I just want to say up front, I'm preaching to the choir here. How often do we invest our own lives into the lives of those in our community. How often? We can justify it. Well, I'll get that in a moment. But amidst our busyness, do we make sure that part of our priority is exemplifying Jesus Christ in the community that we live? One more little passage here in the same chapter, 29, verse 21. He says, Men listen to me with expectation, waiting silently for my advice. After a word from me, they did not speak again. My speech settled on them like dew. They waited for me as for the rain and opened their mouths as for spring showers. Job made himself available. Can I just say this? A word of caution. We have to remember in the midst of life, Why God put us here? Why did God put us here? Let me just give you a couple verses. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13 says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by man. And we understand that concept here in New York. Salt is everywhere six months out of the year, it seems. It destroys. It's not good for anything but create more rust on our vehicles. But salt can be good. Put on the right food, it enhances the flavor. But here's the deal. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are. You that are born again, you that know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are salt. You are to enhance what? Jesus Christ. Not that He needs it. But we're to point others to Him. You're the salt. And then he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, You are the light of the world. The city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. You are to be light in a dark world. 
So that what, that what that means is that as we go out into our culture, as we go out into our communities, as we go to our workplace, as we go to Wegmans, as we go where it is that we go, are we a picture of light in a dark world that we live in? Because things are not getting better. They're getting worse, if you haven't noticed. Things are getting more difficult. And we're going to live in a day and an age where we're going to see more of our freedoms questioned, if not taken away. Are we going to stand up for what is right based on biblical truth? Or are we just going to kind of blend in and say, oh, well, it's not that big a deal, blah, blah, blah. We have to be salt and light. God has called us to that. We are called to impact our world for Jesus Christ. So what is the mission of the church? In order for us to be a mission-minded church, a missional church, we have to know what it is to be on mission with God. We have to know what the church is all about. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. I want us to just be honest this morning, and as I said, I'm preaching to the choir here. I'm not yelling at anyone else. All of us are a church family together. All of us need to heed the Word of God here. When's the last time that we have, on purpose, with anticipation and expectation, went out for the purpose of sharing the Gospel to our friend, our neighbor, our coworker, wherever? Are we doing that faithfully as God expects us to? Are we making disciples of all nations? You know what I find? It's easier to give a dollar than it is to go. Anybody disagree with that? It's easy to put a check in the offering plate. It's easy to say, well, I'm going to help with that project. It's easy to say, hey, I've got a burden for these people over here, and let me give a little something towards it. But it's much more difficult to put feet to it. Are we willing to do that? To make disciples of all nations. You've noticed me in the last couple of years, I love church planting. I love seeing new churches grow, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. But there is a spirit, there is a, 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 a joy and excitement in that. Because if you don't do your work, a church won't get started. And I'll explain that in just a moment. But Jesus speaks of going, evangelizing, making disciples, and planting churches that plant churches to continue that process. Therefore, the mission of the church is nothing less than bringing the world to Christ's Christian faith and maturity in Him. How are we involved in that process as individuals in the body of Christ? I believe that every one of us in this room, without exception, without exception, should be involved in the lives of other people. For God's glory. Who are we mentoring if we're older in age? Who are we mentoring? Who are you discipling? God's Word gives a whole case for women teaching the younger women. There's a whole case for 2 Timothy 2 for faithful people teaching other faithful people who will teach other faithful people. Who are we involved with that when? Who are we investing in? That takes time. 
That takes energy. It takes life. Are we involved in that process as a body of believers? Who are we investing in for the glory of God? A missional church must really strategize because it doesn't happen on accident to carry out the mission. And I would say this, that we are increasingly becoming more non-Christian. I just heard a recent statistic from the from the International Mission Board that said, as of right now, the United States is the fifth largest missionary country in the world. In other words, we have missionaries from other countries coming to us now because we're in a postmodern culture or post-Christian culture. We have missionaries being sent to us and we're the fifth largest mission field here in America. New York City is said to have had 27,000 people per square mile. I heard a story of a guy who was a, uh, a church planting pastor there in, in New York last week. And he said, in my eight blocks, there are roughly 80,000 people. Can you imagine? And I'm thinking to myself, and I asked him this question, how do you plant a church? I mean, I, Where? You're living in a cement jungle. There's buildings everywhere, everywhere you look. How do you plan a church? He goes, it's hard. He said, it's extremely difficult. He said, there aren't buildings just saying, hey, come here, meet church here. In his area of uh, the Bronx, 80,000 people in an 8 to 10 block area. I said, what do you pay for rent? He said, we pay $3,500 a month. And we're a church planting family. I'm like, wow. That's amazing. And he said, we are constantly looking for people to come encourage us and to help us, to knock on doors, to walk through the neighborhoods and just get to know people. He's invited my family to come down for a day and just see the ministry and see part of New York. Uh, We're going to take them up on it sometime. Who are we reaching? Who are we impacting? Consider these two pieces of information. Bruce McNichol explained his research findings in Interest Magazine. Churches under three years of age win an average of ten people per year for every hundred church members. Did you get that? Churches under three years of age win an average of ten people per year for every hundred church members. Churches 3 to 15 years old um, win an average of 5 people per year for every 100 church members. And then churches beyond 15 years of age win an average of 3 people per year for every 100 church members. And he's spot on. It's true for us, unfortunately. So I wonder where the excitement is. Because here's what I find out in my life, and maybe you found it out as too if we're honest with ourselves. The older we get, the longer we've been Christians, the more we have been Christianized into our own little Christian culture. You see, all of our friends are church people. All those that we're close friends with are, you know, they go to our church or they're in our small group or they're in our whatever. The older we get, the longer we're Christians the less we reach out into the world around us. 
several reasons. Where once your kids might have played Little League, they're grown, you're not with outsiders anymore. What you used to do with your kids, well, they're older and they're not part of that anymore. We, we don't reach out. The longer we're Christians, the less outside friends we, friendships we develop. Would anybody disagree with that? If we're not intentional about reaching people, you'll never reach people. God has never called us to control the outcome of those relationships. Correct me if I'm wrong. God has called us to plant seed. And He said, some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. But if we don't plant, or if we don't water someone else's seed, we're neglecting our job. That's Scripture. The North American Mission Board recently recalculated the church-to-population ratio based on statistics on the, from the U.S. Census. In 1900, there were 28 churches for every 10,000 Americans. In 1900, there were 28 churches for every 10,000 Americans. In 1950, there were 17 churches for every 10,000 Americans. In 2000, there were 12 churches for every 10,000 Americans. In 2004 or 5, the latest statistic, there were only 11 churches for every 10,000 people in America. What is it telling us? Churches are dying. You say, well, are they really dying? Yes, they're really dying. It is estimated that 3,500 to 4,000 churches are closing their doors every year. I'm sorry, every, every month around the United States. 1,500 pastors a month are quitting the ministry, never to go back into it. You say, where are these statistics coming from? They are documented from 10 different sources. What are we saying? Churches are dying because we're not being obedient to the Great Commission. You say, well, what does that have to do with church planning? What does that have to do with the number of people getting saved per year? Because the older we get, the more comfortable we become, the less we're reaching out into our communities. Because we're all busy, right? Establishing a missional-minded church means that you plan a church in the community that you are trying to reach. And you're a missionary to that community to which you, in which you live. We are all called to be missionaries. Is that true or is that false? God has called all of us to reach the people around us. It's your neighbor. I wonder how many times, and I'm just asking the question. You can get mad if you want to, but do you know your next door neighbor? Do you know the guy two doors down, three doors down? Do you know him? I've tried. I haven't come real great at that yet. Remember, I'm preaching to the choir too here. But I wonder, are we making an, an effort? Are we trying? Are we seeking to build those relationships that would be so important. We as members have gotten comfortable where God has called us to live. And I don't know about you, but I can justify it. I can rationalize it. I can excuse it. I can do whatever I want. I'm good at it. Maybe you are too. But what has God called us to do? 
What has God called us to be? Come across this article that I thought was really interesting. It said, God calls us to be missionaries 24-7. And he goes on and talks about what that means. And he talks about Jesus. We talk often about building relationships so that we can invite people to the most important relationship. He says, this begs the question, how like Jesus is our life? Just a simple question, he asks. How much like Jesus is our life? He says, Jesus was intentional about loving and serving others. Friendships normally are tit for tat. I like you because you like me. But Jesus' attitude was, I love you regardless of what you think of me. I see you have a need. I want to meet that need. We ask Jesus for ways that we can serve and love our friend in radical ways. You know, it's amazing how even Jesus was criticized for his life. Um, what we see in, in, uh, is in Matthew chapter 11 where he says he is a friend of sinners and taxpayers. Again in Luke chapter 7. Friend of sinners and publicans. Hmm. I want us just, in our minds, just for a moment, ask yourself this question. How many friends do I have that are not part of a church somewhere? Just answer that. That's the first question. How many friends do I have that are not part of a local church somewhere? And number two, the friends that I can come up with have I ever sat down with an intention to share in Christ with them? You see, I would venture to guess that the list outside of church is probably pretty small to begin with. And number two, we're afraid of what they might think, what they might say, how they might respond, how they might react, so therefore we just don't go there. And so I ask the question to follow up that, how obedient are we? I say we. How obedient are we? He says we can further stir the curiosity by asking questions that stir within them, talking about these people around us, the same way Jesus did, to stir within them some thought or emotion. Jesus is asked 183 questions in the Gospels. Get this. He's asked over 183 different questions in the Gospels. He answers three of them. Three of them. However, he asks 307 questions in return. He asks 307 questions in return. You know what he's doing? Finding those points of relation. Oh, you're coming to get water? Well, I know of water that if you drink of this, you'll never thirst again. He found points of relationship with people to whom he had conversations with. He asks questions. Why? To build relationships. To point them to the love of God. And when he was around the religious crowd, he spoke more of hell than he did of anything else. When he was around the unsaved crowd, he talked more about the love of God. I wonder what pattern we should use. That's difficult at times. He makes one other point. He says, Before a person will actively seek God and consider becoming a follower of Jesus, they have to become open to change in their life. They have to see that this trust is real. If your trust in God is not real, why should theirs be? 
If we're not modeling it out in our own lives, why should they care about it? I thought that was interesting. Okay, I understand you're a Christian, you go to church, you do blah, 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 but, well, what happens when you go through difficult times? What happens when someone dies in your life? What happens when you go through a financial difficulty? What happens when someone you love is sick? How do we respond? How do we model Christ to a lost and dying world around us? If we're no different than them, if our relationships are no different than theirs, why should they want what we say we've got? The question is, are we going to step back into an obedient relationship with Jesus Christ? As I said earlier, I hope our church doesn't become a statistic. I pray that it doesn't. I'm not in concern for that right now, by the way. I see some good things happening. But I don't want to settle for status quo. And I hope you don't either. So it's important that we learn God's Word, that we take opportunity to go through Bible studies and get into the Word and have a, have a vibrant walk with God. That's important. But more than just being a, a sponge that soaks it all up, at some point you need to be wrung out. You get what I'm saying? At some point it's, it's beyond the knowledge to be a doer of the Word, not a hearer only. At some point we've got to get beyond the reading to the doing. Because God has called us to both. So what is the pathway to that? Obedience. So I shared earlier, we had an opportunity during our last business meeting to talk about being a sponsored church for a deaf family that's moving into the area. They're moving here in a couple weeks. Mike and Lori Mack, we're excited about it. Um, they have a big job to do, and they're very new at this. And I'm excited to see what God's going to do and maybe our church encouraging them in some way. But I'm excited because there's not really a ministry that is really concentrating and focusing on and really getting involved into the lives of deaf folks here in Rochester. I'm not saying that churches don't have deaf ministries with a handful of people in them. I'm talking about a church that is dedicated to reaching the deaf of Rochester. And they're excited about it. Um, the church planning catalyst for the state was telling me that um, as he sat down with Mike Mack, he said he just kind of sit there and sit there and sit there and sat there and sat there. And then he said, Mike, tell me about your vision for the church. And he came alive. I mean, he jumped up out of his seat and just started, he was excited about what God was burdening his heart to do. And so in lieu of that, we get the opportunity to be a partner with them as a church. Um, I don't know what that means. I don't know how it's going to unfold yet. I'm excited because the most growth as far as salvation decisions happen in new churches. I hope we get behind that. I hope that we'll take a step in our own walk with God and get involved with that. Because God wants to do something in and through us. And the bottom line is, are we going to let Him do it? Or are we make excuses? I don't want you, I'm good at excuses. Um, my knee hurts, my back hurts, I'm tired. Maybe you have a couple choice ones too. But are we willing to set aside the excuses to go into all the world? And you remember Acts 1.8? Remember that familiar verse? But you shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be what? Witnesses. Who's the you? Us. Me. You. 
Think so you'd be witnesses in Judea and Samaria and other most parts of the earth. It starts here at home. It starts with your next door neighbor. It starts in your sphere of influence. It starts where you live. Getting to know those around you and pointing them to Christ. And then he tells us in Second Timothy, you've not given you the spirit of fear, but of love and power and sound mind. What's it tell us? God will give you what you need to do his work if you're willing to do it. And there's a job to do. People are dying every day, every moment. Remember we, a couple weeks ago we talked about the subject of alcohol, and I'll just bring it up for this one point. Every 30 minutes somebody dies around the United States in an alcohol-related accident. Just while we were here this morning, a couple people have died. And then add on to that people who die of cancer every day. Then you add on top of that people who are shot and murdered every day. We have a world that is dying all around us. Have we opened our mouth? Have we taken the time to share Christ? We have got a job to do. I hope you're willing to do it. I want to see God do something great. I've said a hundred times, it's exciting when you hear stories of what God's doing over there, or over there, or over there. But it can't be as exciting as when God does it here. You understand what I'm saying? I don't play the lottery and don't advocate it. But if you knew someone that won the lottery, you say, oh, that's cool. So he's an all multimillionaire. Cool for him, but it ain't as cool as if it ever happened to you. Same thing with God, only better. It's cool when God does something over there, but it ain't as cool as when he does it here. I want God to do something here. How about you? Let's go beyond the want to say, God, use me. I don't know what this means completely. I don't know exactly how God's going to unfold this. Because he does it differently in all of our lives. But it does start with a willingness to say, God, use me. That's where it starts. I'm willing to take up the burden. I'm willing to take the step. I'm willing to go the direction. Casting crowns between the altar and the door. What happens when I leave that door? What happens when I take that step out into the parking lot? What's going to change? He used to tell people, get involved. I've got friends. You know them. They've been here. But I've got friends who have no kids in the local high school program. None. It's been 20 years since they've had kids in high school. But they still go to the football game every Friday night to run the concession stand to meet and talk with people. That's why they do it. It's an open door. I wonder if we go up to the local community center and have a meal with them on Wednesday, even though you can cook yourself, folks. But you do it so you can build relationships. I wonder if we go up to Tinker Park and hang out in the museum up there just and go for a walk so you can talk with strangers that you don't know. Let me go one step further. I wonder if we might be involved or willing to get involved in orphan ministry or foster care. Because those are some families that need some serious, serious encouragement in the things of God. I love, I was telling the guys about Love Loud. First Baptist Church of Woodstock started this about eight or nine years ago. Look at this up close. Eight or nine years ago, they said, we have got to somehow put a definition to loving our neighbors. 
So I came up with a campaign called Love Loud. And during this Love Loud campaign, they said, we are going to just walk around our neighborhood. Now, I'm not advocating we do this as they do it because we can't. I'm not going to try to keep up with the Joneses and the churches next door. I'm giving you it for sake of illustration. They walked around their neighborhood and they said, oh, there's a house that needs a, a roof. There's a house that needs windows. There's a house that needs painted. There's a playground that needs new equipment. And they just said, one by one, we're just going to tackle these as we can to be a picture of Christ in our community. And they started doing that. And the campaign caught national attention. And there are churches all over America that have a Love Loud Week. I'd love to do it sometime. We're going to do it sometime. But they started just impacting their community. They started off with a three to five mile radius around the church and then they broadened it to eight to ten miles around the church. They built relationship with doctors and dentists. They have doctors and dentists come into the church one day, one week out of the year and they do dental work. They get the insurances and everything else taken care of but they come into the church and they do simple dentistry work for people who don't have insurance. They uh, bring several, they had like 35 dentists come in this last year to do work at their church. They had like 25 barbers who just came in and just had free haircuts for the, for the day for anyone that wants it. They just, whatever we can do to serve our community because then when they're here, we're going to tell them about Christ. I don't know what we can do, but I'm thinking serious about what we can do. I don't know what it means. One last thing. They started an adoption program within their church. They said, you know, there are so many people, kids, with families who've, who, uh, who've had to give up their kids in the Atlanta area. Over the last several years, their church families have adopted over 300 kids out of the foster care program. Is that not cool? you imagine taking a kid who has no hope, no future, and putting him in a Christian home where there's taught the values of, of knowing God? 300. That was, that was last year's statistic. I don't know what it is this year. Over 300 children taken out of a foster care program where they had no hope and adopted into families that maybe couldn't have children. That's awesome. I'm not saying we should do what they do or we can do what they do, but we ought to be doing something. I asked this question several years ago when I came. If our door was locked tomorrow and we never met again, would anybody in this community miss us? Would they miss us? I'd like to think that, yes, at this point, it, would, it has changed. We're more than a church that has a soccer field. We're more than a church that does that harvest party at the end of the, in the fall. We're more than a church that does the Christmas lights. Things have changed, but it can't stop. And can I just say this? Penny didn't say anything, but Penny can't keep doing everything she's doing by herself. She's a vision child and a brain child behind some of these things. But she needs help. Who's willing to help? Who's willing to get out there and get busy? Who's willing to roll up their sleeves and say, I want to be part of what God's doing? Because God has called us to be salt and light. Will you take the challenge? I want to move the church forward with God's help. I want to follow what God's doing. Let me put it that way. But that doesn't include sitting still and doing nothing. We say often programs without prayer is just stuff on the calendar. We don't want to do stuff. Everybody's doing stuff. I want to do stuff that's going to impact the world for the glory of God. Let's pray.